Well, good evening. Continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're at Matthew 5, verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there, Matthew chapter 5. And look at verses 13 through 16. And deal with salt and light. So let me read, read the text. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, last week you looked at the Beatitudes, uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and that really dealt with the uh, character of Christians, uh, what they are to be. Uh, But there is perhaps the fear that some of those things could cause one to become introverted, especially persecution. Persecution could tempt us to withdraw, to become isolated. And so here Jesus uh, confronts that and calls us to be salt and light, to be in the world, to be different. Uh, Christianity is not sort of platonic. It's not like Plato's teaching that there is this material which is all bad, Uh, and then the spiritual, which is all good, and so we're just to be isolated, live in our sort of Christian ghettos, or, um, you know, go live in a monastery somewhere. Uh, We are to be in the world. And so uh, Jesus gives us two images, really, salt and light, that we're going to look at. So salt. Salt was very important in the ancient world. Just to give you an example, Roman soldiers were... Uh, part of their salary was paid in salt. That's actually where we get the word salary from, okay? Just so you can impress your friends at <laughs> cocktail evenings. Uh, so uh, salt was very important. Now, what was salt used for? Uh, well, it was a preservative and a flavorant, and it still is a preservative, even for us. We understand that, so let's look at that in, in more detail. A preservative. In the ancient Near Eastern world, even in some parts of the world today, uh, there are no refrigerators. Okay, and so this this was a problem for thousands of years. How do you preserve food? Uh, Because you can't keep it cold, you can't put ice on it or anything like that, unless you're, you know, in in Iceland or something like that. Uh, So what was used? Salt. Salt was used as a preservative. It was used to stop decay. Now Jesus says that His disciples, his followers, are the salt of the world. We are those who are to uh, be used by God to stop decay. And the implication is that the world naturally tends toward decay. So think of of, uh, the the second law of thermodynamics, or entropy. I researched it. Uh, Things naturally move from a state of order to disorder. We know that. We don't have to go far to see that. Um, I can see it in my car. 
that uh, things go from order to disorder and bits of rust starts to show up. You know that with the, if you have a garden, it's not that you just leave it and it gets better. We know that weeds start to grow. The same with every sphere of life. Things will start to get worse, go from order to disorder. It is a natural progression of things that they decay and get worse. And so it is morally with human beings. We do not get better. Left to ourselves, we get worse. And so the world needs, to be, needs a preservative. And Jesus is saying that his people are to be salt and light. We are the ones that uh, should be drawn towards hurt and brokenness in this world. We're not to be callous. Uh, we are not to be, oh, well, they deserve it. Uh, that's, you know, uh, that's what they deserve. We are to be those who are compassionate. Uh, as salt was used to stop decay, so we are to, to go to places of hurting and injustice in our spheres, okay, wherever you find yourself, whatever sphere of life. So in your family, and I know for many of us, we pray for our extended families, even close relatives uh, who don't know the Lord, who are going through difficulties. The Christian is not to withdraw from that. Uh, we are salt. We are to, to go into those situations and seek to bring some sort of preservation. Maybe it's in your neighborhood or maybe it's in the work environment. We are to seek to bring relief and comfort and preservation. And that implies close contact with people even with those that you perhaps don't like naturally. It's going to be with people who don't know the Lord, who are going to blaspheme, who are going to curse, who are going to tell dirty jokes, who are going to be thoughtless. Uh, but if we withdrew from them, well, how many of us would be saved if, if the church had withdrawn? Okay. It's God's kindness to us that there were people that reached out to us or a parent or a family member, and God used that and so we are to be in the world. I love it. One of my favorite preachers is a British preacher called Dick Lucas. And uh, he, he said, in the UK at least, I don't know if it was ever true here in South Africa, but apparently at one time in the UK you could buy a packet of chips, crisps, uh, you know, Simba or Lay's, that type of thing. But what they would do is they wouldn't have it already mixed with the salt. The salt would be in a little bag inside. So you had the, the bag, you opened it, there's the crisps, and then there's a the little bag of salt. And he said, so many Christians are like that. We're just that little bag of salt. We're not actually spread out. Uh, and so we're just, we're in our holy huddle. Uh, we, we just only associate with other Christians. We, uh, we just stay in our little packet of salt. And you know that on your, on your dining room table, if you have a salt shaker there, it's, it's pretty useless just there. It's only when you... You take the salt out and put it on the food and spread it around that it becomes useful. And so it is with us. We, we can't insulate ourselves. Uh, it's, now, of course, there's other passages that talk about wisdom. It would be unwise for your best friend to be an unbeliever. Okay? Bad company corrupts good manners. But uh, I don't want to overqualify this. Just simply to say it's not right if we are totally withdrawn. We are to be salt in our various spheres of life, in your work environment, in the school, in the university, in your family. You are to be salt. The true Christian will seek to bring healing and preservation to every area of decay in every sphere of life that they 
find themselves. So let me challenge you as you go to work on Tuesday uh, or go back to Varsity, wherever it is, look for situations, look for opportunity where you can, can be salt, where you can draw alongside someone who is hurting and broken, uh, whatever that may look like, just to, just to hear them out, find out how they are doing, take them for a coffee, whatever it is, to draw alongside them, to be that salt. So that's the first aspect of salt. It's a preservative. The second is it's a flavorant. We know that. That's probably how we know it best. Salt makes food taste better. Um, when 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 the food is a bit bland, we put salt on it because it brings out the the flavor. Every one of us loves salt to one degree or another. Maybe some people too much, and you've been warned not to have so much salt. Uh, but we, we all appreciate it. We add salt to our food. Uh, and that should be true of Christians, that people are still attracted to Christians. Because we make life better. You'll notice in Scripture, especially Luke chapter 2, on two occasions, we're told about the Lord Jesus Christ that he grew in favor with the people and that the ordinary people enjoyed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying the Bible also teaches persecution and rejection. The Beatitudes spoke about that. So they, they will definitely, people will be offended by what we believe and what we teach, the claims of Christianity. But they shouldn't be able to say horrible things about our personality and our character. There shouldn't be a reason, a legitimate reason for them to reject Christianity. The Bible talks about that all over the place. Our bad behavior can cause unbelievers to blaspheme the name of of Christ. Our bad testimony. We should all be above reproach. So while the people in your workspace might not agree with you, they might say all sorts of nasty things that because of your faith, they wouldn't be able to point a finger and say, well, that person's a thief, that person's a liar, that person's untrustworthy, that person is deceitful and nasty and cruel, whatever it is. They should be able to say, no, look, they're amazing people. I don't agree with what they say, but they're wonderful people, actually. We shouldn't be known as uh, cold and legalistic and self-righteous. We should bring flavor and enjoyment to life. Remember, the Christian is the only one who can truly enjoy anything properly. Because it's not ultimate for us. You know, when something's ultimate and you put all that weight of being God on it, it's destructive. But when we know God, then we can legitimately enjoy enjoy everything else. We can legitimately enjoy music and art and culture and literature and sport and cooking and food and all of these wonderful things God gives us. And so we should be people who enjoy every good thing that God has given us to enjoy. Scriptures say that. He's richly blessed us with all these things to enjoy. And that should be a testimony to the world. In Colossians, Paul says this, Colossians 4 verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Isn't that interesting? Let your speech be seasoned, sprinkled with salt. 
that it brings flavor, that it's, it tastes nice, that your speech is, is uh, relatable, that people accept it because you've sprinkled it with salt. In the parallel passage in Ephesians 4, Paul ex- opens up what that means. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Very, very convicting for me personally, maybe for some of you here as well. Speech that only we seek to build one another up, not flattery, but seek to build one another up, that use our our words as they're seasoned with salt to minister grace to one another. How do you use your words? Is it to minister grace to those who hear? Well, Christians should be attractive to the world. We are preservatives, we are salt, we are flavorant. The other thing about salt is that it doesn't draw attention to itself. Think of that when you have a meal. Maybe you had a nice Sunday lunch. You put some salt on the food. Maybe you got invited for a meal. Uh, I'm sure none of you went away, you know, as you left saying, your salt is so good. Uh, (laughs) Maybe, look, maybe they had special Himalayan salt or something like that. Uh, Maybe you did say that. I I preached this sermon once, and a similar sermon, and uh, used this example, and someone came to me afterwards and said, I actually did tell someone that. But what do we normally say is, sure, that food tasted so good. And that's what it means to be a Christian. We're not here about drawing attention to ourselves, our building our kingdom, so that everyone goes away saying how amazing we are. But really we are deferring all attention to to Christ, that he gets the glory. We're building his kingdom. We're not drawing attention to ourselves. The other thing about salt is that even though it's so small, just think of those small granules, yet the effect is significant, isn't it? Just a few granules of salt on a, on a meal and it changes the whole flavor. One of the things that we, I'm sure we all battle with, especially if you're in a difficult environment, maybe you're the only Christian, the first Christian in your family. Maybe you're the only Christian in your your office environment, your workspace, in your classroom. And you think, well, I'm so insignificant. What, What change, what difference can I make? Well, you're salt. Just a little bit makes a big difference. Don't be discouraged. Don't despair. And remember this, that God has put you there for a reason. And and, and I can guarantee you this, the longer you live, the more you will see that God never just saves in an individualistic way. Only one person in a community or one person in a family. You will see that he, over time, he works. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. And if, you're, if God has saved you in a family, you're the first Christian, you can be encouraged. God is starting to work in that family. If you're the only person in that workspace, God is starting to work there. He has put one of his children there. To be salt and light. Well, there is the warning, though, that if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And what I understand from the scientists is that salt can't 
<laughs> be anything other than salt. Uh, so it can't stop being salt. Uh, what would happen is that sometimes merchants would, would mix impurities in the salt. And so, of course, then it's, it, you can't use it. Uh, and then, really, the only good that, that it's used for is you throw it out on the ground because salt would also be used for judgment. Uh, we, we read in the Old Testament of cities that are destroyed and the Lord says, put salt, cover the whole city in salt because nothing would grow then. It's also an act of, of judgment. And so to be thrown out onto the, the pathway, then it's, it's of no good. It's just thrown out onto the pathway. It's of no use anymore. And so a Christian who, or someone who claims to be a Christian who is not bringing flavor and preservation uh, into, into life, into their relationships, is dangerous and even worthless. And so we must watch that we are not contaminated by the world, that there are not impurities in us that are causing us to become either self-righteous or no different from the world. We become worldly as well. Well, that's the first uh, image that the Lord uses. The second is light. You are the light of the world. This is quite remarkable. Uh, Matthew's gospel is written primarily to a Jewish audience. And he says now to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Uh, World means different things at different times in the Bible, but often it just refers to the other nations the Gentile nations. And so he was saying to his disciples, you are supposed to be a light to the world. You are a light to the world, to the other nations. And that's still true today. God's people are to be a light to the other nations. And what's the idea there, of course, is that they're in darkness. There is tremendous spiritual darkness in the world. There is so much confusion in the world today. People are spiritually lost, aren't they? People are blind, people are confused about everything in life. People are saying that there is not even a God. They're saying there's no meaning to life. There's no purpose. You just have to pretend. Just live as though there is meaning. Uh, I read a quote during the week and it, it was sort of by an atheist arguing for evolution. And, you know, he said, the greatest invention of life is death. What a a wicked statement. Because, of course, they have to glorify death because death is the mechanism for evolution. And so uh, glorifying death, when we all know it's nothing glorious about it, people are confused about even gender, something as clear as that. Confused about sexuality. Confused about roles, husbands and wives and children and parents. and uh, Confused in every area of life. Saying what is bad, they're calling it good. And what is good, they're calling bad. Christians no longer are seen as those who are moral. So, so maybe 50 years ago, at least in the West, people would say we, they don't agree with the ethics of Christians. They don't agree with their view on sexuality. They don't like it. But they would never say Christians are immoral. They would agree Christians have a higher morality than us, a higher standard than us. The world now is the opposite. Christians are immoral. We are bigots, hateful. They are claiming the moral high ground. That's how confusing the world has 
has become. Maybe you, as you sit here or listening, watching, are in darkness, full of confusion, blindness. Well, the answer is to come to Christ. He is the true light of the world, the capital L, light of the world. That's what he said. I am the light of the world. So come to him. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. Cry out to him. And he is merciful and gracious and kind. The two images that Jesus uses with this, under this, being a light, is a city on a hill and then a light in a house. And so the, if the first image, a city on a hill, we understand that this is the idea of a community that uh, is seen far and wide. So salt is more individualistic. We go out as these little granules of salt into the world, seek to influence the world. But then God also calls us to be in community. And as we are in community, we are supposed to be a city on a hill, a community representing uh, God's kingdom, shining brightly in the, in the darkness. You know that image. You know that if you've traveled at all, uh, especially at night, I always know, you know, when I was younger, when we were coming back from the coast and it was nighttime, you can actually see Johannesburg, the light, from, from a long way away, isn't it right? You can, you can just see there's this, this uh, faint uh, sort of aura. Uh, so long before you, you, know, you see any of the, the tall buildings and the actual lights, you can see the effect of Johannesburg, Okay. And that's the idea that we are seen far and wide through our love for one another and pray that the Lord would, would make heritage a, a city on a hill, a place of love, a place of, of, of grace and kindness, a place of truth, speaking the truth in love, a place that holds out the gospel, that shines brightly in this darkness, a place of uh, not arrogance, not self-righteousness, uh, but uh, neither a place of confusion, but a place of certainty because we have the Scriptures, we have God's Word. I was reading uh, this afternoon, Jude. It's interesting, Jude verse 22. There's only one chapter, so verse 22. <laughs> uh, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Isn't that interesting? Mercy on those who doubt. Uh, is heritage a place where people who doubt can come? I'm not talking about self-righteous people who are not actually interested in the truth. Uh, but there will be people who doubt and battle with that and have mercy on them. This is a safe place, a place to come. Where we walk a road, where the gospel is proclaimed. To be a city on a hill. The second image is, is that of a light. And the Lord says this sort of... of this. Very, very straightforward image, but it's so, it's so straightforward, it's, it, it gets the point across. You know, he says, nobody takes a candle or a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That would be ridiculous. You know, you light the, the candle because you want light in the room or the lamp, and then you go and cover it. It's ridiculous. But that's what he's saying is, that's what his people do, don't they, often? We are the light of the world, but sometimes we go and hide. We hide away. And so the scripture knows nothing of sort of undercover Christians. Uh, we're not to be Bible bashers or something like that, or we have to get stickers all over our car or something like that. 
Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, but, you know, if nobody in your family or in your work in- environment or at school knows that you're a follower of Christ, well, that's, that's not right. Maybe you've, you've done that. Maybe now you've sinned and now you think, well, how can I tell people I'm a Christian after what I've done? Well, well, go and repent of that sin. Make right. That's the first thing you can do to show that you are a follower of, of Christ. Don't hide away. And so he says, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isn't this quite remarkable? What Jesus says here is that in this context, at least, there are other, there are, the Bible has more to say about this, but in this context, at least, the, one of the primary ways that your light shines is by good works. See what Jesus says there? By your good works, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say that they may hear your powerful sermons or your great apologetics, that you just smash all their arguments and then they're like, wow, okay, uh, I, I, I can see, I, I believe now. Um, we know that very often, as, you know, those, those are not the primary way that, that God uses to save people. It's not to say you shouldn't learn apologetics, uh, but if it's, it's really there if people are seeking and they have legitimate questions. But how do we get them to? To seek. Uh, one pastor said this, there's a, there's a saying, an English sort of proverb, you can take a, a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Okay. And he said, yeah, you can't make it drink, but you can make it thirsty by giving it some salt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are we going to draw people to Christ? Well, we can't, we can't make them Christians, but we can show them the beauty of Christ by our good works. It, again, it doesn't say your, you know, your amazing blog articles or you know, your uh, political statements on Facebook and Twitter, and that's really what softened my heart to Jesus. Uh, you never hear those testimonies. I've never heard a testimony like that. Like, you know that, that right-wing or left-wing statement that really just smashed everyone else? Well, that really softened my heart. Uh, it was so moving. Never hear that. What is it? Listen to testimonies. You will see that somebody came alongside someone and walked a road. Go and listen to the testimony of Nabil Qureshi, a Muslim. That, it was his friend walked with him for years. The Lord used that. And it might take years, it might take decades. You might even, the Lord might even take you home before you see the fruit. But it's your good works. Titus 3.14, let our people... Paul says to Titus, let our people, let the Christians learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. Titus 1.16, earlier on, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We should be encouraging one another to do good works in every sphere of, of life. So really, this is a wonderful place where we can be creative. 
Where in our conversations, when, you, when you're talking to a brother or sister, and you, you talk about your work environment, and you say, I have this difficult environment here, what's going on? That you encourage one another. Hey, have you, have you tried this? I tried this with somebody at work, and this really helped. I did this. I wrote a note. Whatever it is. But really, we can be creative in the sphere of doing good to people. You see, this, what salt and light means is that as we do that, we bring change to society. So many Christians understand that. The problem is they, they're arguing for really change to come from the top down. We need to get the right president in. We need to get the right this and that. And then we'll have you know, a Christian society. Well, we never promised a Christian society. Uh, the only Christian society is the church. But we can influence society. And this is how it's done. Through being salt and light in every sphere of your life. It's not dramatic, maybe. It's not the way we would think it would work. But you look at the history of the early church within 300 years becoming the predominant religion. That's how it had happened. They had no political say. Nothing. Zero. They were being murdered by their hundreds of thousands. And yet people knew they're loving and they're caring they're thoughtful. We don't like what they say. And slowly but surely it grew and continued to grow. And even if when they tried to stamp it out through persecution, it continued to grow through this, being salt and light. And so in, in closing, Jesus Christ is the true light of the world. He says this in John 8 verse 12. And it is remarkable here that he now says to his people, his followers, You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. This this statement is is an indicative. It's not an imperative. He's not saying, it's not a command. Guys, you must become the light of the world. Okay, Tuesday, make sure you become the light of the world. It's It's a statement of fact. If you're a Christian, this is already true of you. Isn't that beautiful? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. Now go and be who you are. Amen. Let's let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his preaching. So just a few verses and the depth and the profundity and the beauty Lord, we thank you for these images. They are powerful. They stick in our minds. Help us to be who we are. If we are in you, this is already true of us. Help us to live it out. Help us to practice it, to be patient, to be long-suffering, to be creative in doing good to others. And please bless our endeavors. We long to see our friends and family members and work colleagues and peers, fellow students converted, Lord. Thank you for the, for the work you've done here at Heritage. Thank you for the students who invite other students and you've saved them and friends who've invited other friends and you've added them to our number, Lord. May their, their, their tribe increase. We don't want to be well-known. We don't want to be salt that draws attention to itself. We want you to receive all the glory, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.